to Wendell's World in Sports. Let's be great. Let's be great. An entertaining and provocative look into the world of sports and beyond. Play our game. Play hard, but stay poised. Please feel free to go over to Apple iTunes and rate and review. Your feedback is welcome. Go rock this thing, huh? Love you, man. Go get it. And now, the host of the program from the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Wendell Wallace. Fuck Donald Trump. Yeah, nigga, fuck Donald Trump. Yeah, yeah, fuck Donald Trump. Yeah, fuck Donald Trump. Yeah, fuck Donald Trump. Yeah, nigga, fuck Donald Trump. Yeah, yeah, fuck Donald Trump. Yeah. I like white folks, but I don't like you. All the niggas in the hood wanna fight you. Surprise, L. Chopper Wayne tried to snipe you. Surprise, the nation of Islam ain't tried to find you. Have a rally out LA, we gon' fuck it up. Home of the ride, the king ride, we don't give a fuck. Black students, ejected from your rally. What? I'm ready to go right now, your racist ass did too much. I'm about to turn Black Panther. Don't let Donald Trump win, that nigga cancer. He too rich, he ain't got the answers. He can't make decisions for this country, he gon' crash us. No, we can't be a slave for him. He got me appreciating nobody way more. Hey, Donald, name one that follows. You gave us your reason to be president, but we hate you. Fuck Donald Trump. Yeah, fuck Donald Trump. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host. Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to discuss today in the world of sports. Konnichiwa, bonjour, bonsoir, monsieur, mademoiselle, je m'appelle Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Konnichiwa, wassalam alaikum, que pasa mi amigos, mi amo e Wendell Wallace, chicas, senor, senoritas, so glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to discuss today in the world of sports. Before we do, I just want to let you know that I uh, wanted to, I'm recording this on a uh, Tuesday, oh, excuse me, I'm recording this on a Wednesday afternoon. I wanted to record this on a Monday night or I wanted to record this on a Tuesday morning. But uh, I was just so wrapped up. I was just so tied up with the election that I really couldn't concentrate in terms of putting something together to talk about in the world of sports, even though this weekend I watched a lot of uh, college football and NFL football, and those are the things that I'm going to be concentrating on in this podcast. Speaking of this podcast, the college football weekend and the NFL weekend. But like I said, I wanted to get this out a little bit earlier, but with everything being what it was here in this country, I just thought that, you know, after everything went down and I decided who came out or if I, you know, found out who won and who lost and all of those type of things, then I would go ahead and I would record the podcast. And of course, giving you my thoughts and feelings about what went down in the election and out here in the, what I like to say now is the racist states of America. I will not use the word United States of America because there's nothing united about this country. This country has always been divided on many things, just like many other countries in the world. But um, the fallacy, the notion of American exceptionalism is a joke. It's a fraud. For those who are listening to this podcast, if you're listening in Perth, Australia, if you're listening in Sydney or Melbourne, if you're listening in Kuwait, if you're listening in Brazil, if you're listening in Paris, if you're listening in Canada, if you're listening in South America, wherever you're listening, Outside of the United States, I'm just let you. I just want to let you know in a little secret, which you know you probably already know, but I'm just here as a citizen 
of the racist states of America. I'm just affirming your thoughts and feelings about this country, where at least the people who live in this country, the at least 68 million people who live in this country. Yes, without question, we are the dumbest motherfuckers on the planet. Without, without question. The person in Norway, the dumbest person in Norway, or Sweden, or Iraq, or I shouldn't say Iraq, but any free, any country which allows free thought and freedom, the dumbest person of that country, if he came to America, there would be 68 million people dumber than that person. So the dumbest person in Sweden is still, there's still 68 million people who are dumber than you are. And they live right here in the racist states of America. Don't understand, don't really understand exactly what happened uh, last night. Now, things are clearing up and it looks like Biden's going to win. This is really a victory with no victory. The fact that we could have a president in this country who has shown nothing but incompetence, who has shown nothing but uh, foolishness, who has shown nothing but bigotry and stupidity, and stupidity and hatred and division, all of those things. And the majority of white folks really just don't give a fuck. They just don't care. So the fact that he's a racist, too many white folks are just like, that's okay, that's fine, no big deal. Blacks, are, both men and women, are fucking stupid enough to uh, still vote for this guy. Latinos are still stupid enough to vote for this guy, a decent number of those. This man made gains in almost every single category in terms of race of voting for him in 2020. And this is coming off of the pandemic. This is coming off of a fucking pandemic that we're still in. This is a guy who fucking lied about a pandemic. This is a guy who told you on tape that he was lying to you about a pandemic that has killed over 200 and 12,000 people, he fucking told you that he was fucking lying to you. And you're still going to vote for this guy? And for you fucking idiots out there who are sitting there talking about, well, it was a hoax, it's no big deal, it's not that big of a deal, it's not even as deadly as the flu, more people die from the flu than they do for COVID, this is a you know, political setup and witch hunt and all these type of things. On the Woodward interview that your Grand Wizard leader gave, this man said on tape in his own voice that this was something that was really serious. This is something that's really deadly. This is something that's worse than the flu. He was lying to you when he was bringing in people for those rallies without masks, which you had to sign a waiver for, so just in case you get COVID, you can't sue them. So these people were coming into his rallies and such without masks, without social distancing, and he was telling his fucking sheep, he was telling his fucking brain-dead bag of fucking losers, telling them that, you know, it's no big deal, it's a Democratic hoax. All of those times he was talking about, it's a hoax, it's no big deal, it's not serious, it will be over. He knew the truth. He knew how bad this was. He knew how serious this was. So he lied to your faces and you have it on tape. He openly, brazenly said, fuck it. I'm going to tell you that I was lying to you. I am going to openly tell you that, yes, I was putting your life and the ones that you love and other people's lives in danger because I just didn't give a fuck. 
and you're still going to vote for the guy. Are you fucking, how stupid must people be? Seriously, just think about that. So for people who said that it was a hoax, this man knew it wasn't a hoax. So this guy was fucking lying to you. This is worse than the flu, and he didn't tell you. He was lying to you. Well, I wanted to, you know, keep it quiet because, uh, you know, I didn't want to uh, panic, and I didn't want to have, like, panic or anything like that. Fuck that bullshit. He was lying to you. Lying to you. About a pandemic. About a virus that has killed over 200,000 people and counting. And we live in a country where people are stupid enough to say, oh, fine, that's okay. That's cool. No problem. No big deal. We'll still vote for you. We'll take someone lying about a pandemic that might kill people rather than someone who might, you know, help out the black community a little bit. Fuck, we don't want that to happen now. Hell with that shit. Nonsense. Man who was talking about people coming in from shithole countries. People talking about there were good sides, there were people, uh, good people on both sides during a... Um, during what? During a a Klan rally in Charlottesville. Talking about he didn't know who David Duke was. Talking about he couldn't disown racist groups, uh, white supremacist groups. And people are still going to vote for him. People still said, that's okay. That's fine. No big deal. And hey, look, I get it. You know, I I understand. There's going to be some places in this country where it's like, look, you could have the fucking Grand Wizard of the KKK come up to the podium in his clan suit with his hood, with a black person around his, with a noose around his neck, going up to the podium, talking about when I get in the office, this exactly is what I'm going to do for black folks. And I guarantee you that Kansas, Mississippi, Alabama, Wyoming, Utah, North Dakota, South Dakota, Montana, they would still vote for him. And I'm not quite sure that I'm missing some other places. Uh, uh, where else? Uh, Missouri, Northern Florida. They'd be like, okay, that's the way, you know, I mean, he ain't going to do some shit to us. This shit ain't over as far as the, um, you know, this whole nightmare that we've had for four years. If I'm the Republican Party, you know what happened? You know what your problem was? You know why Trump didn't get reelected? He wasn't racist enough for the, for you people. He wasn't racist enough. You needed someone who was even more racist than Trump. I bet you if you would have brought out someone who's more racist than Trump in 2024, the next presidential campaign for the Republican Party, he should come out on the platform and say, hey, look, let me tell you something, man. You've had four years of blacks getting over on you. You've had four years of Hispanics getting over on you. You've had four years of gay people getting rights that they don't deserve. You've had four years of, of uh, Muslims coming into this country. You've had four years of all this kind of stuff. And what has happened to the white man? What has happened to the white family? What has happened to our white communities? What has happened to our white children? Now we have them in schools next to, next to terrorists a.k.a. Muslims. Now we have people who are not, you have your children now in school, but people who don't, who don't have Christian values. I'm here to tell you that I am going to change all that. I am running for the nominee for the 2024 uh, Republican, I'm, I'm the nominee for the 2024 Republican presidential uh, deal, and I'm a Republican, and this is what I'm all about. If I'm going to be, if I'm your 
if I'm your guy, I am going to do everything that I can to bring back traditional family values. Women in the workplace, you women need to be sitting at home. You women need to be taking care of the men. What happens to the traditional family? The unemployment, excuse me, the divorce is high. The divorce is going through the roof. What is going on with our society that we live in today? Too many women are out there working and they're not home raising the children. They're not at home uh, cooking dinner. You know, back when America was great. Ah, make America great again. Ah, ha, ha, ha. Yeah, so when I get into office, I'm going to make sure I'm going to put women back in their household. I'm going to put women back to where they belong, having their responsibilities, which is to take care of the household, which is to raise the children, which is to clean the clothes, which is to fold and make the beds, which is to cook the dinners and clean. That's going to be my deal when I'm their nominee. And for the black folks out there, let me tell you something. I am not going to let any of those black people move into your neighborhoods where they're going to bring their crime, they're going to bring their rap music, they're going to bring their filth, they're going to bring their violence, they're going to bring their guns, they're going to bring they're shooting each other. I'm not going to allow that to happen in our neighborhoods. You don't have to worry about that. It's time for the black folks right now to sit there and take care of themselves. They've had too much. We've given them too much. We've depended up on them too much, and now you're being left behind. Same thing with Latinos. I'm going to send those people back to Mexico or wherever they came from, by hook or by crook. I'm not going to put them in cages. I'm going to throw them back across the border. I'm going to have Mexico and Venezuela and all them other places. You take care of them because we're done with these people. And instead of building a wall, I'm going to have a, a, a rifle team. I'm going to have snipers. I'm going to situate snipers everywhere so when they cross the border, I'm going to, they're going to be picked off one by one. The 2024 Republican nominee for president can run on that platform. And I fucking guarantee you, Wyoming, Utah, Montana, the Dakotas, Kansas, Louisiana, Texas, Oklahoma, Missouri, Mississippi, Alabama, Northern Florida, they'll fall right up, Georgia, the rural areas of Georgia, North Carolina, Tennessee, South Carolina, they'll all vote for that guy. Whoever the guy is, they'll all vote for him. All vote for him. Now, he'll get blasted in places where there's like, I don't know, diversity. So if you go through every state in this country where there's going to be like a mixture of blacks and whites and Hispanics and Asians and gays and all of these type of things, those people, we're not falling for that okey-doke. We're not falling for that bullshit. We're not falling for that nonsense. But when you go out to these rural areas where it's white and nothing but white or the large majority of people are white and maybe there's a small number of uh, Hispanics, but basically the whites control everything, that's the way they want to keep it. That's the way that they want to have it down in their community. They don't want a decent number of blacks in their communities. They don't want a decent number of gay people in their communities. They just don't. So it wouldn't matter to them if some grand wizard came out with a nationalistic uh, type of platform in terms of uh, disenfranchising black folks and brown folks and Hispanic folks. They don't give a fuck. As long as they don't touch them, they don't care. They don't care. I go to places, when I go to work and I head up the I-15 from Vegas heading up toward uh, Utah 
and I go up to northern Nevada or whatever it is, you know, heading up, you know, to, to, to go work, the farther up I get, the less diverse it is. And the farther you go up the I-15, past Moapa Valley, past Mesquite, past St. George, past Hurricane, past Cedar City, heading on up to Salt Lake City, then heading past Salt Lake City to Orem, then heading on up to uh, Idaho, and then keep heading on up to the uh, Canadian border. The farther you go up the I-15, the wider it gets. The wider it gets. So those people are like, fuck it, why do we give a fuck about Black Lives Matter and all that kind of nonsense? There ain't nobody living in, there ain't, there's hardly any black folks that are living in Mesquite. There ain't no hardly any black folks living in Hurricane or Orem or St. George, Utah. Why do they care? Why do they care what happens to black folks? They don't care. Why do they care about what happened to Hispanics? They don't, they don't care. Hardly any of them live out there. So why should they care? As long as they're doing right by me, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> you know, hang all the black folks. I mean, it'd be, you know, that's not, that's not what I'm wishing, but, you know, how it's going to, how it's going to affect me. It's not. So, you know, heading to the next election, it's going to be interesting to see exactly what direction one party is going to be going, which is a shame because we need both parties. I want a functioning, responsible Republican party. I really do. Right now, I'm a, I'm, I'm progressive by really you you gave me no other choice i would like to go back and forth i would love to be an independent i would love to see exactly what both parties can do for me in a sincere way but i know what the republican party can do for me which is nothing which is absolutely nothing and the democrats aren't the like you know the the uh the saviors the democrats aren't the uh wonderful be all and you know all our problems are going to be taken care of yeah i know they take advantage of black folks yeah i know that they don't really care a lot about black folks. I, I get all that. I understand that. But at least, fuck it, they care just a fucking little. I know in the Republican Party, they don't even want us. So, you know, I, I want, I don't Michael Steele, Steve Schmidt, the Lincoln Project, man, get together and see what you can do about reforming, reshaping your, your uh, party, which can be inclusive, which can be attractive, which can be interesting to everybody. Just not uneducated, dumbass white people. I mean, you know, get something together where, you know, it can catch my attention. I'm not married to the Democratic Party. I would leave them in a heartbeat if I could, if I found a better alternative. I don't, I don't give a fuck about what party I'm in. I'm in, I'm in a party that's going to be looking out for the country, looking out for everybody, making it fair for everybody. That's the country I want to live in. And right now, that's not the case. Right now, that's far from the case. So, I mean, black folks, we're, we're done. We're done preaching. We're done begging. We're done explaining to white folks who just don't get it. We're done. We're tired. White folks who do get it, please explain to them. Because we're done. We're, we're done. Because they're, they're just too goddamn fucking stupid. George Floyd didn't move them. Police brutality didn't move them. Racial discrimination didn't move them. Housing discrimination didn't move them. Acts of violence because the race didn't move them. Dylan Roof shooting up eight people in South Carolina didn't move them. Nothing moved them in terms of, wow, you know, maybe we need to have a better understanding about what's going on on the other side of the tracks. And that way we can bring the races closer, to get, closer together. They didn't, they didn't jive with any of that stuff. So, you know, screw it. And screw you and screw them in terms of not wanting to listen 
not wanting to learn. You know, all the stuff I used to say about listen, learn, learn, listen, learn, listen, learn, shut up, listen, and learn. I'm done talking. And I'm done trying to explain, you know, that guess what? Racism in this country is more than just um, burning crosses on your lawn, lynchings, um, people calling you nigger, and, uh, you know, you can't go into a restaurant, you can't go into a bathroom because of the color of your skin. I mean, we're, we're, we're past 1960s. We're past 1950s. Racists have gotten a lot more sophisticated. And there's a whole lot of white folks out there who haven't caught up, who are still stuck in the 1950s, 60s mentality of a definition of what racism is all about. And when we try to explain to you, no, racists are a little bit more sophisticated. Yeah, bigots and racists are bigots and racists, but that doesn't equate for them being intellectually stupid. I mean, to have those thoughts and feelings on some levels, you're stupid. But yes, in fact, they are smart in the ways that they can manipulate people to say, what, I mean, you know, George Floyd, he, he was a criminal. George Floyd, you know, yeah, well, you know, how do we know what happened? Um, Trayvon Martin, uh, Aubrey Aubrey, all, the, all of these folks who are the victims of police brutalities, those who want to eschew what Colin Kaepernick was doing by saying he's against the United States. Oh, sorry, I shouldn't say he's against the racist states of America. He's anti-American. Uh, uh, you know, he's <laughs> he's racist and all those type of things. You're not, you're not getting it, and black people are tired of explaining it to you because you're not listening. You're not listening. So what would be great, I think, and I would hate to say this, is the fact that we need to have more of, the, of, the, of a divided society, but black folks just need to look after black folks. And it starts financially to where you know we can have our own sections, where we can have our own areas, where we can have our own neighborhoods where we can have our own communities where we have a barbershop and a bank and a grocery store and a school you know school districts and all those type of things that way you know folks who want to join our community fine join in and this that and the other whether whatever color you are whatever race you are whatever creed you are whatever sexual orientation you are whatever political affiliation you are come in and join our neighborhood no big deal but you know we don't have to put up with the bullshit and nonsense of trying to explain exactly what's happening as far as this country is concerned and trying for us to trying for for black people trying to unite white people when white people don't want to do it unless it's going to be on their terms which means that we're really not getting anywhere white folks want unity and harmony and integration on their terms they want it by what they find as acceptable to them not happening it's not happening I'm letting you know right now, blacks, Hispanics, and others, it's not happening. It's not happening. So, so, so hopefully, I don't know exactly what's going to happen moving forward. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But uh, we're in a precarious state in this country, and I don't, I don't know. I, I, we're, we're falling fast. I mean, we used to be the world leader and all this kind of stuff. The racist states of America is uh, falling fast. I don't know if Biden can do it. I don't know. I've got my questions. I've got my concerns about it. But um, I just wish another country would step up, take our place, because we are not that beacon of, a beacon of hope and all that other nonsense. We're just not right now. We are, America is sick, very sick. And you wouldn't want a sick person leading anybody. You know, you don't want the blind leading the blind. 
And right now, we are Ray Charles Stevie Wonder Blind without the musical genius uh, behind it. We offer not too much. We really don't at this point. So, you know, let's, let's, let's see what we can do. Let's see what this world can do. I mean, for once, we're, we're the, the, the racist states, the ignorant states of America is calling out to the other countries. At least I am. Help us out, please. Please, kind of take over a little bit while we, while we clean up our mess at home. We're talking about we need to take care of other countries. Shit, we can't even take care of ourselves, man. We can't even take care of ourselves. 68 million people showed. Do you really want this country to be leading anybody? After what went down yesterday, do you really, are you really confident if you're another country to be like, yeah, sure, yeah, America, go ahead, yeah, show us the way, this, that, and the other. So, I don't know, man, I don't know, 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 but I'm glad uh, the election is over, and now, finally, we can talk about some sports. Let's do it. Wendell's World is Sports. So glad that you could be with us. Wendell Wallace here. Que pasa, mi amigos? What is going on right now as I'm doing my podcast I have on the television in my in my townhome here in Northwest Las Vegas. I have a handball tournament. Denmark's playing somebody from uh, about a year ago. So who are they playing? I don't know. Some Some team whose name I can't pronounce. It must be a club team. I don't know what it is, but I love handball, man. I've always enjoyed handball. Even with the Olympics coming on, I'll take handball over at baseball any day of the week. I just, I just it's action-packed, it's physical, we're scoring, it's good athletes, great athletes. It's fun. It's a really enjoyable sport, so I, I really enjoy it. Maybe, uh, maybe Denmark, huh? maybe Denmark in another four years when I retire. I want to get the fuck out of this country. Denmark, maybe. Sweden, maybe. Norway, maybe. I don't know. We'll see. Wendell's World of Sports. Let me make it through the night, and then I'll worry about tomorrow. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us talking about what's happening in football this week in college and the NFL. I feel like right now, man, it's like the dog days of both sports, really, if you think about it. College football, I mean, okay, Clemson survives a Halftime deficit of 28-13 without Trevor Lawrence. I'll get into that a little bit later. But they come back to beat Boston College at home, 34-28. This uh, quarterback they got, I'm just going to call him DJ. I haven't really got his whole name down yet. Ulagalele. I don't I don't know. I've heard a couple of people pronounce it different ways. So I want to get a little bit more confident in saying his name before I start rattling it off like I do Giannis Adenikupo. But uh, I'll just say freshman DJ, the uh Making his first start, the true freshman showed NFL franchise that need to tank in 2022 season so they can draft the number one type talent and potential against Boston College. He completed 30 of 41 passes, 342 yards, two scores. Travis Etienne set the ACC career rushing yards mark. He rushed for 84 yards and caught seven passes for 140, totaling two touchdowns. And it was Clemson's 28th straight win over an ACC opponent. Ah, 
I did you really did you really think that this game was gonna be like oh shit Clemson's gonna lose? I was mildly interested in entertaining that thought that Clemson would lose the game, but I, I never really considered it. I was just like, yeah, you know, Boston College is playing well. Clemson seems to be a little bit discombobulated. I mean, they got the fluke return as far as the ATN when uh, he fumbled at the one yard line and the guy for Boston College returned it for a. 99-yard touchdown, uh, built the lead to 21-7 for Boston College. And, you know, the Boston College offense came out throwing the football, being aggressive, scoring on their first two offensive series. Clemson scored on their first one. So it was 14-7. The 99-yard touchdown score made it 21-17. Even then, I was like, no, I'm not really there yet. I, it's, this is still Clemson. This is still Boston College. The one thing that I thought that possibly, maybe, would allow Boston College to uh, get the upset would be because of the fact that they were heading, they were ahead at the uh, halftime by, I guess, two or three scores. The fact that then freshman DJ would have to go ahead and open it up a little bit more, that the uh, offensive coordinator for Clemson, Tony Elliott, would have to um, have to uh, put more responsibility on DJ Ulalalele, I'm uh, getting there, to uh, throw the football. But uh, they did. And he came out well in the first half. He had a lot of checkdowns, a lot of easy throws. But in the second half, he came out with that 30-yard touchdown run in the first play, in the first possession of the uh, third quarter. The defense allowed Boston College, didn't allow that many more opportunities to score. And it was like, all right, there we go. There we go. So it was a good win from Clemson, getting them ready for it. Notre Dame, it was an excellent showing by the uh, freshman quarterback who I said before, if he reaches his talent and potential in a couple of years, then it's going to be worth, I, I would start investing if I'm some teams right now, if we can't get ourselves a quarterback in terms of Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence, I think this kid is good enough to where, you know, you wait a little bit longer. And that means that you have to pass on a Trey Lance, if you have to pass on a Mac Jones, if you have to pass on a quarterback who is somewhere around the mid to late first round of this year's draft. If you can hold on for another two years, continue to be bad, but build around uh, your offense or build around the offensive line, the defensive line, something like that, and you can still be bad enough to where you're in a position in the 2022 draft or 2023 draft to go ahead and draft this kid DJ, a freshman DJ, if he continues to progress like he's progressing. I would take a Sam Hankey Philadelphia 76er type tanking job in the NFL if this was going to be the prize at the end of the uh, at the end of the arduous task to uh, get there. Remember, this is the NFL, so we're not talking about no matter how bad you are, you're going to be put in a ping pong lottery situation to where you might not get the number one draft pick. This is a situation where you know what you can uh, you can go ahead and you can do that, and without the certainty of when fans are going to be able to go back to the stadium. I mean, for instance. Worst come to worst, and the NFL had to play half a season next season without any type of fans. Then why not go ahead, stink the joint out, start building to where you can get that number one pick where it looks like you can get this. I'll say it. He looks like a generational talent. He does. He does. Now, who knows what's going to be happening You know, down the road? We don't know what quarterback is going to emerge in college football. We don't know any of that stuff, what's going to be happening in the two or three years, but I was very impressed. We'll know a little bit more about DJ when he plays fourth-ranked Notre Dame next uh, this upcoming Saturday. But so far against Boston College, I was very impressed. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host. Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. But yet the biggest news 
of the college football season so far is the potential generational talent and future greatest New York Jet players is Joe Namath, the generations, Joe Namath, Trevor Lawrence. You hear that, Jets fans? Oh, Trevor. Trevor Lawrence tested positive for COVID-19 this past Thursday. I said in terms, I've said this on the uh, podcast before, Wendell's World of Sports podcast, you got that right. I was talking about um, what would happen to shut down college football. What instance, what example could be put in place where college football said, whoa, you know what, we're just going to have to shut this season down because of this situation or this happening. I said it would be have to be massive outbreaks of COVID at the Power 5 conference schools, whether I'm talking about the elite football programs at the Power 5 conference schools. I'm not talking about Vanderbilt. I'm not talking about uh, Nebraska. I'm not talking about you know those type of schools. I'm talking about all of a sudden now a massive outbreak happens at Alabama or Clemson or Ohio State or Georgia. One of those two things. That would cause the, I think, college football to be like, hmm, you know, maybe we should shut this thing down. Or I thought that a player of consequence catching the virus, and not just catching the virus, but becoming very sick and possibly dying. I don't want anybody to die. I don't want anybody to be sick. I don't even want anybody in college football to catch a virus. Player, coach, administrator, commissioner, I don't care who it is. Please, I don't want anybody catching COVID. But what I'm saying is the example that I would give where college football would have to say, hey, look, we got to shut this shit down, is if a well-known college football player got the virus, contracted the virus, got deathly sick, really sick, or he died. That would then bring out the CNNs. That would all of a sudden bring out the PBSs. That would all all of a sudden would bring out the Anderson Coopers and the Don Levins and the Lemons and the Rachel Maddows and the Brian Williams and the uh, and, and those guys to come out and start questioning what's college football doing, putting these kids at risk and harm and all of those type of things. And I thought, and I think that type of pressure from those entities would cause college football to be like, you know what, the PR move is really bad. Let's just shut the thing down. And the name that I always brought up in terms of what would precipitate something like that happening was Trevor Lawrence. Well, Trevor Lawrence came down and he tested positive for COVID-19. And what Dabo Sweeney said in the statement, he said, Trevor has authorized us this evening to announce that he has tested positive for COVID-19. It is now in isolation. He's doing well with very, but he is doing well with mild symptoms. Two words, extremely important. Mild symptoms, but will not be available for this week's game against Boston College. That was a statement before the Boston College game. Now, ACC protocols require a player to sit out for a minimum of 10 days following a positive test and a reacclimatization period following a 10-day window. So Clemson coach Debo Sweeney said after the Boston College game that Lawrence would not play number four Notre Dame on November 7th as part of the ACC's return to play protocol. Lawrence must pass a series of cardiac exams before getting back on the field, and there simply won't be enough time to pass all the tests in time for Saturday's game. So there you go, man. I'm, I'm glad that Trevor, first of all, Trevor Lawrence lives in an apartment by himself. Well, what's all that about? The man's getting the Michael Jordan, Cal Ripken Jr. treatment. You know, the fact that, you know, I mean, hey, he's so great that he doesn't have to live with anybody. What, what's going on with that? But none of my business. But uh, so, yeah, he's not a threat to 
any other any of the uh, players, Clemson players or anything like that. But uh, you know, it's good to see him go through the proper protocol. We shouldn't rush this. I know Trevor Lawrence wants to get back as soon as possible, but he shouldn't rush this. Someone in his family, coaching staff, Davos, somebody needs to sit there and be like, hey, look, man, you know, uh, you're a generational talent. You're a guy that's going to be the person earmarked to uh, take the uh, torch from the greatest who's played this game and be that guy to be up there with the Patrick Mahomes and the Deshaun Watsons and the Russell Wilsons of today's game in four or five years. So, you know, we want to uh, make sure that, uh, you know, you reach that potential. So we're not going to jeopardize your health in any type of way by bringing you back and playing football if you're not 100% rip-roaring, ready to go. So Trevor Lawrence, you just sit back and just say, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. You know, I'm, I'm, the, the, the New Yorkers need me next season. So I want to be at my absolute best. So, you know, the Notre Dame game against Clemson, how important is this? Clemson now has a built-in advantage. Now, if they go out there and Notre Dame, Notre Dame romps in 42-7 or some nonsense like that, which I highly doubt that's going to happen. But, you know, unless it's a blowout, you know, Clemson is not going to get to the point to where they've been eliminated from trying to get into the uh, uh, the uh, college football playoffs. So while it's an entertaining game, while it's going to be an tr- intriguing game, while it's going to be a must-see game, while it's going to be the game of the week in college football, this upcoming Saturday. This is not something that's what we would call an elimination game. I don't even think it's an elimination game for uh, Notre Dame. So, again, for me, it's just a situation to see really how good is uh, freshman DJ, the quarterback for Clemson, filling in for for Lawrence, who's going to be the guy that's presumably, right, going to be able to take the reins next season when Trevor is uh, throwing passes for a lot more money than what he's making now with Clemson. So it'll be interesting to see exactly what happens moving forward. So, and I'm also interested to see, you know, where is Notre Dame as a football, quote unquote, football power? Because we don't know exactly what it is in terms of Notre Dame, what to make of them. Yeah, they're ranked number four in the country. Okay, that's great. But I mean, do you really think they're on the same level as a Clemson, as an Alabama, as an Ohio State, just dealing with? In this season, we know since 2017 how good they've been. 39-6. and six. <clears throat> I think they're, in their last 32 games, they're like 29-3 and three or some nonsense like that. But, you know, if you take a look at that record, 39-6, and six, you think, oh, my goodness gracious. I mean, that's right up there with the Notre Dames and the Georgias and the Clemsons and the Ohio States and such. But, really, the devil's in the details when you take a look at that record. Of the 39 games that they've won, 31 of those came against opponents that finished the season unranked. So they, they do what they're supposed to do. They're almost like Michigan in that sense, except for when they play Michigan State. The fact that they beat the team that they're supposed to beat. But also during the stretch where they've had this tremendous record, Notre Dame is 8-6 and six against opponents who finished the season ranked in the top 25. They're 4-4 four and four against opponents that finished in the top 15. And they're 0-3 oh against opponents that finished in the, or ranked in the top 10. And they're 1-3 in their last four meetings against teams that finish ranked. So, yeah, 39-6, and six, awesome, wonderful, whoop-de-doo. But, you know, how much does that mean when you're beating the Bowling Greens and the Wake Forest and the Navies and, and the Boston Colleges of the world? 
Notre Dame hasn't defeated a team that finished ranked in the top 10 since a 17-13 victory over Michigan State seven fucking years ago, 2013. If you take a look, their best performances were in losing efforts, if you really think about it during that time. Remember that game in uh, 2014 where they lost on the road to uh, number two Florida, uh, Florida, uh, Florida State, 31-25, when Notre Dame was ranked number five? You know, that was the game where Everett Golston threw to David Robinson's kid, Corey Robinson, in the end zone with about 13 seconds left to appear to give Notre Dame the go-ahead touchdown, but it was wiped out because of a uh, pa- offensive pass interference penalty, which Notre Dame was sitting there going, no, 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 no. And then on the next play, Notre Dame turned the ball over. Ball game, thanks for coming. James Winston, Jimbo Fisher, thank you very much for that uh, turnover. You remember the game where they lost on the road to Stanford, who was ranked number nine at the time. They lost 38-36 when Notre Dame was number six. That was one of the best games of the year that year in 2014. They had 10 lead changes and a game that had almost 1,000 a, a yards of offense. That was the game that knocked Notre Dame out of any conversation of making the playoffs. And then they played in the Fiesta Bowl against Ohio State where they lost 44-28, a season where Ohio State was supposed to be the you know, one of the greatest college football teams in the past 25 years where they had JT Barrett and Cardell Jones and Ezekiel Elliott and all these other guys and they they bullshit their way through and lost to what, Michigan State at Columbus 17-14. So that was a Notre Dame, you know, season where it was like, yeah, your best vic- your best games were in losses. The 2019 season, they lost to Georgia, then ranked number 3 on the road. 23-17 when Notre Dame was ranked number seven. I mean, that's the type of program Notre Dame has been for the last four or five years, right? I mean, if you're trying to find a tier to put Notre Dame in as a football program during that time, they're not close to Ohio State or Alabama or Oklahoma or LSU or Clemson. They're probably on the same level as, I wouldn't put them on the same level as Georgia. Really, at least Georgia made it to the... Uh, college football championship game and was a pass away from Tua Tunga by Loa to winning the whole goddamn thing. So I wouldn't put Notre Dame on the same level as Georgia, especially the way Georgia's been recruiting. If they could just get themselves a quarterback who could uh, elevate all that talent around them. I mean, Georgia would be one of the elite programs right up there with the LSUs and Ohio States and Alabamas and Oklahomas and such during that time period. I would put Notre Dame, shit, what do you think, man? I would put Notre Dame like around the same level as a Wisconsin, a Michigan State, an Oregon, Oklahoma State, Texas A&M type of type programs. You know, they beat the people who they're supposed to beat. But you take a look at someone like a Texas A&M. Do you really think they're going to beat Alabama? Oklahoma State, do you really think they're going to beat Oklahoma on a semi-consistent basis? Michigan State, do you really think they're going to beat Ohio State when it counts? Wisconsin, do you really think they're going to beat the elite of the elite, which is Ohio State when it counts? That's the same thing with Notre Dame. Impressive record, wake up the Irish, blah, 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 blah. Duke Rodney, we're going to go out there and fight. We're going to win, 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 all that kind of nonsense. Wonderful. That shit works. That shit's wonderful on NBC when they got their own network and they're beating up on teams like uh, Stanford or they're beating up on teams like, uh, I don't know, Wake Forest and such. But they're not that program. They're not that program as of right now that they've shown that can compete on a consistent basis with the elite of college football. 
What would their record be, for instance? Because we're talking about, man, 39-6 at the start of 2017, 29-3 over the last 32 games. What would Notre Dame's record be if they played in the SEC West? Let's say, for instance, because, you know, I, you, you could throw in, what would Auburn as a college football program be? What would their record be if they were an independent or if they had the same schedule as a Notre Dame? What would Texas A&M's record be? What would Oklahoma State's record be? What would Georgia's record be if they didn't have to go through LSU in Alabama? Well, you know, Georgia's playing in the East. So, I mean, what, Florida, it's a tougher game over there. Tennessee has been down. Vanderbilt, let's not talk about them. I think Vanderbilt's even in the SEC West. But for the most part, I mean, what, Kentucky? So, okay, I, I get that point. But still, they have to eventually run into Alabama. They still have to eventually run into LSU, one of the best programs in college football from the SEC West, if they want to go ahead and try to get that playoff. Notre Dame doesn't need to do any of that stuff. Notre Dame doesn't have those types of obstacles, especially at the end of the season, where you know, for the most part, unless your program is on the level of an Ohio State, is on the level of an Alabama, is on the level, at least last year, of an LSU. The fact that if you lose later on in the season, the, the longer the season goes on, the chances of you losing and then not and then not being able to get back in to a conversation about being one of the best four teams in the in the country it increases dramatically. Say, for instance, if you lose with two games left to go in the regular season compared to two games into the regular season. So while you have the SEC championship game, which a lot of times determines, which for the most part determines who's going to be playing in the, in the uh, playoffs. When you have the Big Twelve tournament, when you have the uh, ACC, you know, championship game where it's no big deal because you know Clemson is going to go ahead and do that in football. But when you have the Big 12 championship game and the Pac-12 championship game, the Big 10 championship game, a lot of those games determine who's going to be playing in the playoffs. Notre Dame doesn't have that advantage. So my whole point of this is that if you take out Auburn, if you take out some of these other programs and they don't have to face those teams and all of a sudden you replace that with Alabama, who have to play the Auburns, who have to play the LSUs, who have to play the Alabamas on a regular basis. After everything is all said and done, when the, when the dust settles, are they still 39-6 overall since 2017 with a 29-3 record in the last 32 games? I don't think so. I definitely don't think so. Three of those losses, in fact, were to Clemson, 30-3 in the college football semifinals in 2018, and then we had number three Georgia losing, and then they fell 45-14 to to uh, Michigan on the road at the time. So, again, it's nice to get wins over Bowling Green and Duke and Navy and New Mexico and Pittsburgh and Syracuse and Northwestern. whoop de damn doo da whoop de damn day. But what you gonna do? What you gonna do when you play Clemson and it runs wild on you? So, I mean, you know, that's what we're gonna be looking at. And that's what I'm gonna be interested in. To see them on Saturday when they play Clemson. Again, if this the if they win, Notre Dame is back, and oh my goodness gracious, it's time to put them in the same sentence as Ohio State and Alabama and all this kind of stuff. No, not this season and not going forward. But I tell you one thing, it'll say a lot a lot about the program and the direction that it's going in terms of, you know what, you guys are on the right path of reaching a status to where you can be spoke of in the same breath at the top college football programs in the country instead of being that team that's that's good they're good they're pretty good 
They're really good. But elite? Notre Dame? No. Beating Clemson on Saturday doesn't mean you arrive, but it could mean as a football program going to Elitesville, you're on your way. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Bonjour, shalom. Wassalamu alaikum to all the folks out there. Thank you very much. By the way, for all the countries on Instagram and who tweeted and was talking about all the United States, you know, good luck, hang in there, all of those type of things. We uh, appreciate your condolences. We appreciate your thoughts, your warm thoughts. At least I do. Very nice. Saw Jen Wolf, this woman, I guess she's from, she's an uh, Instagram model attractive young lady. Um, she, she was up there talking about, I'm so sorry, you know, from Australia, you know, guys hanging there. I missed you guys so much and can't wait to see you again and this, that, and the other. And after each one, she had a heart, you know, like, a, like you know, I love you guys so much and I can't wait to see you again. All right, all right, all right, all right. Jeez. <laughs> hey, you know what, Jen? Make your money. In fact, all them Instagram girls, make your money, man. Do what y'all need to do. You know what I'm saying? Women empowerment. I'm all for it. I'm all down with it. But it's like, you know, I miss you guys so much. I just love to come to all. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your, you're not sleeping with me. So you can say that. I just love to. Uh, Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host. Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. I just love the fact that you're listening to my podcast. Um, Speaking about what's happening in college football, Michigan losing to Michigan State. 27-24, they are who we, who they thought they are who we thought they were. Same Michigan State team that lost to Rutgers last week, committed seven turnovers, gave Rutgers its first uh, win in the Big Ten in about what two or three years. Michigan went ahead at home, lost to that team. Michigan State was speaking about. New Michigan State coach Mel Tucker became the first MSU coach to beat. The Wolverines in the first game since uh, some guy named Nick Saban in 1995. Last time I heard, Nick Saban turned out to be a pretty decent college football coach. NFL, he stunk. College football, that's his lane. So you take a look at the current Michigan State team, quarterback Rocky Lombardi. All we needed one more pin, Rocky. At one point in the game, he had 176 yards passing and just six completions. I'll be talking about the Michigan secondary just a little bit later. He finished the game with 323 yards passing, completing 17 of 32 passes. Wide receiver Ricky White caught eight passes for 196 yards. Eight passes for 196 yards. What? Yeah, man, I'm serious. Eight passes for 196 yards. And the receivers from Michigan State drew numerous other flags, so... 
On defense, the Wolverines, Michigan, they were very less Wolverine-ish. Surrendered five passes of 30-plus yards and committed a combined four holding and pass interference penalties. Michigan State had completions of, get this, 30, 31, 40, 50, and 53 yards. And four of them, except for the 53-yard pass completion, four of them went to Ricky White. Who the fuck is Ricky White? When did he turn into DK Metcalf? Jeez. So Michigan on offense, I mean, they were they were fine. They were good. A little too much Joe Minton. Milton, I thought. 395 total yards. I mean, Michigan had 452 yards. So you're speaking about what? Bring over the one and the six and the ten. So he had 90, uh, 92 yards of total offense from uh, Michigan. Only had 98 yards from anybody else not named Joe Milton. 32 of 51 passed to 11 different receivers. 300 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions. 59 yards on 12 carries. I mean, Michigan. You can't find any any running backs? Seriously? I mean, you know, Jim Harbaugh is not Mike Leach. You couldn't, you know, find some more diversity? I mean, all the recruits, the four- and five-star recruits you guys have, I mean, you guys are in the top 10, top 12, top four, top five recruiting uh, annals. So you can't get anything that's going to resemble a really strong, consistent running game to go along with a – I mean, you guys finally have yourself a quarterback after going through, you know, Shea Patterson and a couple of others. Jim Harbaugh, the same guy who resurrected the career of of uh, Alex Smith, the same guy who gave Colin Kaepernick his best years, the same guy who, um, you know, developed Andrew Luck. It took him, what, six, five, six years to finally get himself a quarterback worth a damn and junior Joe Milton. But you, can, you can't surround him with anything in terms of weapons and the running game. Interesting. You see that um, last drive they had down 27, 17, five minutes left to go in the game? They're dinking and dunking it. You can't throw the ball down the field. I mean, the guy has a gun for an arm. Speaking of Milton, you couldn't send a couple of guys on a go route? Michigan? The home of Anthony Carter? You couldn't find the receiver to go to go deep? To go long? Jeez, man, what in the hell? Are, what, what, what's going on there? They went on a dink and dunk, eighteen yard, eighteen drive play. That you know, Michigan State would let you go ahead. <laughs> I mean, they didn't use any timeouts whatsoever. They didn't seem to be in a hurry. The the no huddle was slow and lethargic. And Michigan State's like, hey, sure, we can we can go ahead and play this game. Yeah, you know, first down and five. You know, first down and ten. Second down and five. Third down and three. Create the first down. Then we'll do this all over again. Second down and six. Third down and two. And Meanwhile, the clock is moving, the clock is grooving, the clock is, you know, not improving for Michigan, and they're just still, you know, methodically walking up. But it was almost like they were down by only one score. It's like you guys need two scores. 18-play drive that took off four and a half minutes off the clock. So they scored under a minute left. There seemed to be no type, type of urgency. I mean, Harbaugh wasn't like saying, come on, let's go, move it, move it, move it. You know, Milton was waving his hand around going, come on, offensive lineman, let's go, let's go, let's go, move, 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 move. Call the play, get the play into me, let's go, let's go, let's go, move. It was nothing, it was just like, that was Michigan State. I don't know what song that is, look it up on YouTube. But it was just like, amazing to me. So, you know, 
I thought Michigan, I, I was one of those, you know, fool me once, shame on me. I was one of those where, you know, Michigan might be doing something interesting. Fool me once, shame on you. You fool me twice, shame on me. Right. So, you know, I was fooled. Michigan might be doing something interesting after beating Minnesota on the road last week, 49-24, coming off at Minnesota. Hey, oh, wow. Hey, hoo ha ha. Then I saw Maryland put up 40-something points on uh, Minnesota with uh, Tunga Bailoa's, uh, Tua's uh, younger brother. And I was like, oh, okay, Minnesota is not the team that we thought they were. You know, PJ rowing the boat in the other direction. So they go ahead, Michigan. They lose to Michigan State. And, and here's the thing. I mean, I'm speaking about this like, wow, what the fuck's going on? But I, I bet if I ask you, like Michigan State beating Michigan under those circumstances, even if you know the state of the Michigan State program right now, you would be, I don't think that you would be shocked, would you? I mean, you'd be like, damn, they really, they lost? <laughs> Shit, ain't that something? But wouldn't very quickly your thoughts and opinions would just turn back to, ah, that's Michigan. That's Michigan. You know, they are who we thought they were. We are Michigan is who they thought we were, but they really aren't are. I don't know, fuck it. But it's just surprising that there wasn't like any more like, oh, oh my goodness, I can't believe this. So what exactly does this loss mean for Michigan? It's what? Do we start up the how much longer is Jim Harbaugh going to be coaching this team type of uh, discussion? Normally that happens after he loses to Ohio State. Now it's like, wow, I mean, he, he did when they got embarrassed by Wisconsin, last year it was wow it was disappointing wow i can't believe it wow this is amazing wow i never saw that coming but the you think jim harbaugh will leave that wasn't like maybe i don't know that wasn't really prevalent but every year it seemed he seemed to be you know the discussion always comes up so what do you think what do you think what do you think when is he going to go back to the NFL? When do you think he's going to be coaching the Bears? When do you think, you know, this, that, and the other? And it's like, gee, man. I mean, you know, Harbaugh, he's not, <laughs> I mean, he ain't that bad. He hasn't been that bad at Michigan. If you take a look at his record in, in the sixth year, he's 48-19 overall. I mean, that's 71%. He's 33-13 and 13 in conference. That, that's, that's, that's good. That's, that's pretty decent. But then again, the devil's in the details. Yeah, he's 49 or he's 48 and 19 overall, but shit, he's 0 and 5 against Ohio State. He's 2 and 12 against top 10 teams, and he's dropped three home games to Michigan State. What in the holy hell? This five full season at Michigan, he's finished third or fourth in the conference four times. He tied for first once in 2018. And you speak about the bowl games that Harbaugh has played under, uh, that the Michigan has played under Harbaugh. Take a look at these bowl games. The Citrus Bowl twice, the Orange Bowl, the Outback Bowl, and the Peach Bowl. No Rose? Where's the Rose? Wisconsin gets to play in a game at the Rose, it plays the Rose Bowl before Michigan does? So, look, I just, I see both sides of the, of the argument here, you know, but I guess what's going to come first? What do you think? Do you think Harbaugh's going to go back to the NFL, or do you think Michigan's going to come up to him and say, yeah, you know what? Um, he might be having – I mean, let's say, for instance, they disappoint. They finish – I don't know. They lose three games, four games this year. I don't know. I don't know, man. They lose to Michigan State. They lose to Ohio State, and then they lose to – I don't know. Another game where it's surprising. 
Indiana or somebody. I don't know. Does Harbaugh finally say, fuck it, I'm done. I'm going back to the NFL. Because there's going to be some jobs opening in the NFL and some pretty interesting and attractive jobs. And jobs to where, you know what, get my agent to, uh, you know, get me a nice big fat contract. Also, there's going to be some teams that are going to swing for the fences for someone like Jim Harbaugh. I'm not saying that he's going to be getting John Gruden type of type of a deal, but I'm thinking to myself if Matt Rule got a nice contract, years and all those type of things, uh, a decent agent who's with Jim Harbaugh, he can't get the same type of deal. I'm just saying. So, does Harbaugh leave for the NFL first or him and the university come into a mutual decision to uh, <clears throat> part ways. I'm taking a look at these teams who might need coaches in the NFL. You take a look at uh, Atlanta, Houston. Well, Atlanta and Houston, they do need coaches. I mean, Romeo Cornell is not going to be the head coach next next season. And the um, oh, the man who used to coach Tampa Bay before, and now he's coaching Atlanta, Raheem Morris, yeah. He's not going to be coaching Atlanta at the end of the season. So those two guys, those two franchises, are going to be needing themselves a head coach. Then you take a look at someone like the, the, the team like a, like the Detroit Lions, the New York Jets, the Dallas Cowboys possibly, the Los Angeles Chargers possibly, the Jacksonville Jaguars, Minnesota Vikings. All of those teams could be in play. And then you always have a team where it's like a surprise that a coach is either quits, resigns, or gets fired. I mean... Is there any guarantee that uh, Doug Peterson is still going to be the coach of the Philadelphia Eagles if they continue to play the way they're playing next season? I mean, possibly just something like out of left field. Could Bill Belichick at the age of 68 and everything that he's done, the season that he's having right now, it, could he be a guy that finally says, you know what, not really in the mood of being a you know, being part of a rebuilding squad at 68 years old. I want to do some other things. I'm telling you, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but – and maybe, I don't know, man, maybe I'm looking for something. Maybe I'm reaching, I don't know. But there's something to this new Bill Belichick. Wendell, what do you mean by new Bill Belichick? I don't know. I mean, he's just doing some things that are sort of kind of uncharacteristic. My man was in a Subway sandwich commercial. Bill Belichick do a, you know, commercials? Bill Belichick? I mean, here's a guy who in his last press conference was very forthright and open, and open, you know, during a press conference about the struggles of his team and why his team, the New England Patriots, are in the position that they're in right now. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Wendell. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Bill Belichick, forthright, open, honest, in a press conference? Let me, let me ask you another question. If Bill Belichick was forthright and open and honest, during a press conference, was that part of the ransom to release his son? Was that part of the ransom to release his loved ones? Because I can't think of Bill Belichick doing anything like that unless those things have happened. No, man. From what we know, no, not at all. So I don't know. Maybe it's nothing. I don't know. But it just seemed like, look, Belichick did the uh, top 100 football players with uh, Collinsworth and Rich Eisen and those guys. It just seems like he's, I don't know. I don't know. And I've mentioned it before on other podcasts about what's going on with this. I don't know if you even call him new. He was mic'd up against the Denver Broncos. Bill Belichick being mic'd up. I know years ago uh, with uh, 
I don't know. It was I think it was Steve Sable, uh, the guy for NFL Films, that uh, they did a whole deal with him where he was mic'd up and they went inside the Patriot Way and all that kind of stuff and gave and gave us access to you know um, what he was doing. They mic'd him up on the when he was coaching and all of those things, and that was interesting. But he has a very good relationship, a trusting relationship with the Sable. So I could that was interesting that he would do it, but I could see where he would put his faith and his trust with someone like those guys and go ahead and do that. But now here in 2020, where Tom Brady's gone, and look, that, that dynasty for New England, that ain't coming back, man. That's a once-in-a-lifetime deal. And like the San Antonio Spurs winning those five championships and having the dynasty that they had. Tim Duncan's not walking through that door, folks. Bruno Ginobili's not walking through that door, folks. Tony Parker is not walking through that door, folks. David Robinson, he's not walking through that door, folks, unless they're there to watch a basketball game. So the Spurs, to duplicate the amount of success that they had during that Tim Duncan run and that squad that they had around them, that's not happening anymore. So it brings into the mortality in terms of how long one of the greatest coaches in NBA history and in sports history in itself, Greg Popovich, how long is he going to coach? Same thing now with the example that I used with the San Antonio Spurs to bring it over to the New England Patriots. Look, Tom, Tom Brady was a once-generational, you-win-mega-bucks type of deal for the New England Patriots. Bill Belichick is not going to get himself another Tom Brady, right? Bill Belichick is not going to build another dynasty like he had with New England. Bill Belichick is not going to be winning another six Super Bowls in 20 years because I don't I don't know Bill Belichick. I've never talked to Bill Belichick. I've never asked him this question. So I'm going to go on the assumption that Bill Belichick is not going to be wanting to coach until he's 88 fucking years old. So he kind of knows that, you know, he's on definitely on the back nine of his career. He doesn't know exactly when the day will come where he'll be like, you know what, fuck it, I'm done. Maybe he's realizing it right now. Maybe he is. So all of this discussion about Belichick quitting and not quitting, but retiring and doing something else would mean that there would be an opening in the head coaching position for the New England Patriots. Now there's been widespread or speculation or, you know, the connected dots that Josh McDaniel might be the coach in waiting, but I mean, with Robert Kraft, you know, the, the, the man of the uh, massage parlors in uh, Florida with Robert Kraft, you know, if Belichick retired, would he give Jim Harbaugh a call to say, hey, can you go ahead and help turn my program around? And we know Robert Kraft is one of the best owners in the NFL. He's going to give Harbaugh everything that he needs to try to turn that program around. So if that situation comes up, would Harbaugh take the opportunity then to leave Michigan, especially if, I don't, I don't know if, I don't know, because he bolted before with the San Francisco 49ers, but that was a situation where, you know, him and the GM, Trent Bulky were like looking to fucking kill each other. So I think for the good of everybody, the Yorks, Bulky, and Jim Harbaugh, it was like, you know, let's kind of like separate before one of us kills the other two. So it's a situation where would Harbaugh then leave a program at Michigan to where it's coming off a disappointing season? To where he would say, nah, man, before I even entertain some shit like that, because after all, I am making $8 million in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Hello. Before I even think about that shit, I need to, like, you know, try to turn this program around. Would Harbaugh do that? I mean, I don't know. I mean, look at, look, who would you rather, if you're Jim Harbaugh, again, I don't know Jim Harbaugh, but, I mean, the thought of maybe 
coaching and in his prime, Deshaun Watson, or not yet in his prime, but getting there, Deshaun Watson, to where you're going to have an opportunity, if you if everything goes right, to build a situation for, for seven, eight years, you're going to have yourself one of the two or three top quarterbacks in the league for that amount of time. Would something like that entice Jim Harbaugh to leave Michigan? Going over and coaching Detroit, little quick little drive from Ann Arbor to uh, Detroit, turn that franchise around, being the head coach of the New York Jets, the number one media market, one of the number one franchises, one of the top franchises in sports itself, work for Jerry Jones. How how would that fucking work for Jim Harbaugh? What type of hard knocks, HBO, I mean, wh- how much would you want to pay to try to get a uh, in-season look with those two? Jim Harbaugh working with Jerry Jones. That would be interesting. Go out to L.A., you know, turn around the San Diego, the uh, Los Angeles Chargers, Jacksonville. I don't know. There's really nothing in the cupboard there. Minnesota, maybe something there. My only thing is that, you know, more than ever before, if Doug Peterson said bye-bye, the opportunity to work with Carson Wentz, turn his program around, turn his career around, the only thing that I'm saying and I'm mentioning all of this and going on and on and on and on and on and on about this is because every year we just see Jim Harbaugh conversations about is he going to leave, is he going to leave, is he going to leave. And I, I think Jim Harbaugh is an NFL coach. Yeah, he really he started his coaching chops in college. But I think that was always an avenue to get toward the NFL. And this was a guy in San Francisco who had a lot of um, – had a lot of success, as I mentioned before, the success that he had with Alex Smith, the success that he had in moving toward Kaepernick, and the success that those two had, and that team had getting themselves a few plays away from winning the uh, Super Bowl, going up against his brother who coached the uh, Baltimore Ravens, John Harbaugh. So I just see Jim Harbaugh more as a pro coach. I really do. Now, the reasons why he would want to stay in Michigan are great. He can always go back to the pros. There'll always be an opening for him to go back to the pros. So this is not something where you need to strike while the iron is hot. I I think the leash that he's been given at Michigan is going to be long. They're not going to fire him if he continues to win 70% of his games. He's making $8 million. So I I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what he's going to do about that. It'll be interesting to see. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. The podcast. Speaking about Jim Harbaugh, Michigan football, losing to Michigan State 27-24. What does that mean for Jim Harbaugh moving forward? Should he go to the pros? Blah, blah, blah. Taking a look at some of the openings, what might happen. Atlanta working with Bat Ryan, Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley. Interesting. As I mentioned before, working with Deshaun Watson, who I think is going to be a top two quarterback, top three quarterback for the next seven to ten years. He's going to be on the same level as a Russell Wilson and a... Um, and a Patrick Mahomes, I think he's, as far as long-term is going to be, I think that Sean Watson is going to be better than, say, someone like a Joe Burrow. He's going to be better than, say, someone like a uh, Lamar Jackson. And I'm high on Lamar Jackson, but I just think overall, in the long-term longevity of their careers, I think that Deshaun Watson is going to be the better quarterback. Does Jim Harbaugh hop from Michigan over there? So there's a lot of things, New York, Dallas, Los Angeles Chargers, Jacksonville, Minnesota, Philadelphia. So it'll be, you know, we'll, we'll see what Jimmy, we'll see what Jimmy Boy does uh, moving forward. But 
I, I think, and I'm, and I'm speaking, I know a couple of folks who love themselves in Michigan football, college football. And I know that Michigan football is one of the more cherished historic programs in all of sports, not just in college football. But I think for those Michigan football Wolverineites, I think you need to, I mean, for those who are sitting there talking about Harbaugh needs to leave, Harbaugh's been a disappointment, this, that, and the other. Think historically about the Michigan football program. When was the last time Michigan won a national championship? Do you know? I'll tell you, it's 1997. Lloyd Carr was the coach on that team. Before that, when was the last time Michigan won a national championship? Give up? 1948. So we're speaking about over a seven-decade span. Michigan's only won two national championships. And they haven't won one now going on for 23 years. This, this isn't Alabama. As far as historical is concerned, you speak about Briar Bryant, you speak about now Nick Saban. Michigan is, is not in that realm. It's not in that stratosphere. I mean, this isn't a program like Ohio State. I mean, if we're going to sit there and we're going to, you know, rip rip Notre Dame to shreds by living on his past and living in his history and the Nuke Rotney and all this kind of nonsense, why aren't we doing that about Michigan? I think if you take the totality of their programs and who should be boasting more and who should be bragging more and who should be bumping their gums and beating their chest and swinging their dicks out talking about how great they are between Michigan and Ohio and Michigan and uh, Notre Dame, I think I think it's Notre Dame. Notre Dame did make it to a college football playoffs a couple of years. Yeah, they got blasted by Alabama and they got blasted by Clemson, but they got there. What has is, what is Michigan done? Over the last seven, ten years, Brian Kelly's been a coach at Notre Dame, what, 10, 11 years? What's Michigan been doing in the last 10, 11 years? You want to, you know, take a look at that program, combine, take a look at those programs and see which one is better over that, over that period of time? I mean, I just mentioned that Notre Dame went 39-6 since 2017. I just mentioned that Notre Dame is 29-3 and in this last 32 games. What has Michigan been? What has Michigan been doing? And this is not like an indictment on Michigan, but I'm just saying, for those who want to judge Harbaugh, he's been a disappointment. To me, he's kind of like fallen in line in terms of what he, you know, what the Michigan program is over, what, the last 10, 20, 25 years? I mean, Lloyd Carr had a good run. But let's, let's take a look at the coach, public figure, football icon and legend, Bo Schembechler. A guy who's one of the most, you know, iconic names in the Midwest when it comes to college football. That man never won a national championship in 20 years as a coach at uh, Michigan. Now, he won a boatload of Big Ten titles outright. He won five of them. He won, he was, uh, he won eight where he was tied. So you're speaking about a guy who won 13 Big Ten titles, either outright or tied for first uh, in his 20 years of coaching. He went 11-9-1. and nine He had a winning record against Ohio State and Woody Hayes, which is a lot better than uh, what Jim Harbaugh is going to be putting down so far. And so, you know, there you go, there you go. 
You know, Bo Schimlet, Beckler's best years ended the season ranked number two in 1985, number four in 1988, number three in 1976. There was a bunch of times that he was inside of the top 10, anywhere between five, six, seven, eight, nine. So, yeah, Bo Schembechler, yeah, awesome, great, wonderful, all of those things. But ben, Bo Schembechler, he's not Nick Saban. He's not Woody Hayes. He's not Bear Bryant. That's all I'm saying. It's, sometimes I think that the folks with the Michigan associated with the, with the with the Michigan program, big fans, you know, grew up in Detroit, grew up in Pontiac, grew up in Oak Park, grew up in you know, Fifth Mile, you know, loving the Michigan Wolverines. I think sometimes our our thoughts and our feelings of Michigan football are a little bit more grandiose than what they really should be. Now, had Harbaugh been the perfect coach at Michigan? No. I mean, shit, you got to beat Ohio State. You got to beat Michigan State on a regular basis. You should be pounding those guys. Talent hasn't been the problem. It's not like Michigan is finishing fourth or fifth in the recruiting wars in the Big Ten. They're getting top 10, top 15 recruits every single year that Harbaugh has been there. A lot of times they've cracked the top 10. Should they be doing better than what they're doing? Arguable. But... Am I down on Jim Harbaugh because after five years or six years, he hasn't gotten his team in a place where they're going to win a national championship? No. No. That's not Michigan. Michigan doesn't win national championships on that regular. We're not talking about Alabama. Michigan doesn't win championships on that regular of a a basis. If If I'm the Michigan administration enough, athletic director, would I like to see Jim Harbaugh do better? Of course. But am I thinking about firing the man? No, no, no. If the season goes off the rails, are you going to fire Jim Harbaugh? No. First of all, who am I going to bring in there? We have to go through that nonsense again because you got to bring in a Michigan man, right? We don't want to be we don't want to be upsetting you know Grand Grandpa Bo. We have to bring in someone from Michigan. We need a Michigan man, right? Yeah. I need someone who can fucking win. I don't give a fuck about that bullshit. Give me someone who can win. A Michigan man, an Ohio man, a blind man, a Hawaiian man, a gay man, a man's man. I don't give a fuck. A Martian man. I don't know. A Charles man. I don't, I don't know. Just give me somebody who can fucking win. I don't give a shit. But, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm not ready to throw in the towel already with Jim Harbaugh. And I, and I think this consistent talk of, you know, he needs to leave. He needs to leave. He's been a disappointment, this, that, and the other. You know. I'm, 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 I'm not going there. If I'm a Michigan fan, again, would I like to see him do better? Absolutely. But uh, I think Jim Harbaugh is, uh, is a good man for the, uh, for the Michigan job. Really is. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. I would, before I get to uh, my little music break, do you feel it? Can you smell it? Can you taste it? Look around. It's starting to grow. It's starting to ferment. Yeah, man, I'm talking about Alabama. What are you talking about, Alabama? What the fuck are you talking about? They beat the shit out of Michigan State 41 to nothing. They're ranked number two in the country. Wonder what about Alabama is so fucking interesting right now? Let me tell you. Mac Jones, the quarterback Mac Jones, that Mac Jones, this man is becoming the Joe Burrow of the season. What? Let me explain. Um... 
I think that Matt Jones is starting to become that guy who, like Joe Burrow, when the season started, no one really gave a damn about Joe Burrow, and that was nice. And he had a mediocre season, his junior season, and then he came on strong. LSU got Joe Brady, and the next thing you know that he was throwing all over the joint, and he was completing 89% of his passes, and he was throwing for 600 yards a game. And they went, went down to Texas and beat them, and Joe Burrow was unbelievable. And after a couple of games, you started to feel that momentum a little bit toward, towards Joe Burrow. And then a guy who was off everybody's radar when the season started, all of a sudden through midseason, it was like, Joe Burrow for Heisman? Really? To Joe Burrow for Heisman? Mm-hmm. To the end of the season where it was Joe Burrow for hire, uh, for Heisman. Definitely. Are we starting to see that now with Matt Jones? Matt Jones started the season as a guy who wasn't even projected in some folks' eyes to even be the starting quarterback. They got this kid, um, oh man, kid from uh, California, you know, the number one dual threat quarterback out of St. John Roscoe and Bryce somebody, I forgot, but he was supposed to be the guy in some people's eyes that was going to take over the starting position. But uh, no, according to uh, DraftKings, Matt Jones is the leader in the 2020 Heisman Trophy race, especially now with uh, Trevor Lawrence of Clemson out with uh, COVID-19. So DraftKings listed Jones as a plus 125 to win. Ohio State quarterback Justin Fields sits at uh, second. And then Trevor Lawrence, who had been the favorite at the beginning of the year, now he's fourth. I guess he's now has four to one odds or some nonsense like that. But, uh, Matt Jones, Matt Jones, Matt Jones led the Clemson Tide to a Crimson Tide. Clemson's Tide is over on Crimson's Tide. Crimson Tide to a 6-0 record with an offense that tops the country by averaging 47 points per game. He's thrown for over 2,000 yards, 16 touchdowns, two interceptions in 2020. And you got to remember also that a lot of times he's been sitting out the uh, fourth quarters. His two 10.3 quarterback ratings would be the best in a full season in over a decade. Now, other candidates include, you know, Zach Wilson of BYU, who I guess I'm going to have to watch the play, huh? see what he's all about. Devonta Smith of Alabama, the wide receiver. Najee Harris, the running back in Alabama. And Travis Etienne, the running back at Clemson. I'm not ready to go there yet with Jones. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. This college football season has been so fucking weird. We still haven't gotten a full sample size of what um, Justin Fields can do. The biggest game that Mac Jones has played, Georgia, that's already done. So he's not going to have any type of Heisman-type moments unless Alabama falls behind and Mac Jones just go nuts and he you know, throws for 500 yards and seven touchdowns in a tremendous comeback. But if, but if he's doing that against a weakened, depleted LSU team or Maybe if he does that in the Iron Bowl against Auburn, I don't know what Auburn's going to be looking back, looking like at the end of the season. So the memorable Heisman Trophy moments for Mac Jones have now been passed. But then again, you take a look at someone like uh, Justin Fields. I mean, what, maybe Michigan? Possibly? We don't know exactly when Wisconsin's going to play. They got their game canceled again against Purdue, I guess. That's the second time this season, and two weeks in a row, that Wisconsin won't be playing. So we don't know where they're going to be located in the top 25, top 20, top 15, top 20, top 10 in college football. So we don't know, man. We we have absolutely no idea exactly, you know, when Justin Fields can have that 
moment when Trevor Lawrence comes back. What is he going to do for an encore? What is he going to do to uh, improve his chances? Najee Harris, you're going to give it to a running back. Devonta Smith, you're going to give it to a wide receiver. If you ain't going to give it to a running back, you're going to give it to a wide receiver. Because if Devonta Smith goes off and goes nuts, how much is that going to be because of Mac Jones and how much of the claim and fame and acclamation and all that kind of stuff is going to go to Mac Jones instead of Devonta Smith? I don't know. I don't know. It's been a weird fucking year, so I don't know. But it was just interesting to see this growing grumble and rumble of Mac Jones. Your 2020 Heisman Trophy at the beginning of the season, preseason or whatever, it would have been ludicrous. And I'm not talking about the rapper. It would have been ridiculous. Now, could be. Could be. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Boy, am I tired. Jeez. I am worn, worn out, man. This election bullshit has just worn me out. I am on E. But I'm going to keep going. You know why? Because I love y'all so much. So, so much. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Um, Before I move on to the NFL... What's been your assessment of college football so far through nine weeks? What do you think? What's the best way to describe this season? If I just gave you some adjectives to throw out there, what would you describe it as? I mean, I don't know, man. For me, it's been blah, bland. Mm. Nice distraction from having nothing to do on Saturdays. Mm. It's all right. Better than nothing. You know, better than watching baseball. I don't know. It's nothing, I don't know. Maybe because of the fact that we didn't have those early. Maybe because college football was so thrown off. It was like, you know, Labor Day comes around and, you know, you have some really good games and you have some top 10 matchups and it signifies the start of the fall and, and you know, all of those type of things. All of those, all of those moments. And, and that was taken away. So you didn't have those uh interconference games that, you know, you could get a good read on, you know, and I, I just been, it's just been kind of pieced together. I don't know. I don't know. You, what are, what's been the top stories for you outside of COVID-19 and teams not being able to play and the Trevor Lawrence situation tested positive for COVID and, and all that stuff. Other than that, I mean, just plays on the field, any memorable games, any memorable performances, anything as far as football is concerned? All right, the emergence I talked about on the in the last segment, the emergence of Matt Jones, 
Um, I don't know. I mean, that the total collapse of LSU, you know, does that uh, does he get does that get you Johnson's joning? I don't know. The non-power five teams doing well. I mean, you take a look. They're all undefeated. Cincinnati's ranked number six. BYU's ranked number nine. Coastal Carolina ranked number fifteen. Marshall number sixteen. That's that's nice, but you know none of those teams have any chance of playing for a national championship. So, all right, that's fine. That's wonderful. And also, who's the best four teams in college football right now? We've got Clemson. We've got Alabama. I can go after two games. I can say Ohio State. But who's the number four team right now? I don't know. Is it Georgia? You know who their quarterback is? You know they scored, what, 14 points this past weekend against Kentucky? You think they're the fourth best team? And even the fourth best team, does it really even mean anything? I mean, Notre Dame, we'll, we'll see what they're all about on Saturday, I guess, with Clemson. But then again, Clemson's not going to be without Trevor Lawrence, so they have a built-in excuse. Dabba won't use it. But, I mean, we all we all know Trevor Lawrence isn't going to be there. So that's one of the marquee matchups that's been kind of demarkedified because of no uh, TL. So who is it? What can, who is it right now? Is it Florida? Georgia? I mean, they have the world's largest outdoor co- cocktail party this weekend, Florida and Georgia. So I guess we'll see who emerges from that. I mean, Florida has been on a nice little rebound since Dan Mullen came over from Mississippi State. I mean, if he could stop wearing costumes to press conferences and initiating brawls, it'd be a nice little switch, be a nice little something different. But uh, we'll see. We'll see moving forward if they're the fourth best team. But does that invoke any type of Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State has a challenge? If, say, for instance, Florida gets into the playoffs, and to get into the playoffs, you would have to play Alabama. So if you play Alabama and the SEC championship game and lose, what does that mean for you? So that means they get their eliminator, right? So who would take their place then? Same thing with Georgia. If Georgia can beat Florida and then lose to Alabama in the SEC championship game, does that automatically knock out Florida and Georgia? If Notre Dame and Clemson, whoever loses that game, let's say, for instance, that Notre Dame, who's playing in the ACC this year, maybe they, I don't know. What's going on? Who knows? I don't know. Who else is out there? Texas A&M? Texas A&M just got their doors blown off by uh, Alabama a couple of weeks ago or a few weeks ago. So I don't know. According to the ESPN Stats and Information Group, there's about 11 teams with at least a 4% chance at reaching the uh, college football playoffs. Of course, Alabama's at 88%, Ohio State 85%, Clemson 72%, Wisconsin 40%. But then again, when is Wisconsin going to play a game? Georgia's at 27%, Notre Dame 25%, Oregon, who hasn't played any football yet. The Pac-12 starts this weekend, so we, we don't know what kind of team Oregon is going to be there at 18%. USC, we definitely don't know what type of team that's going to be there at 15%. BYU, 14%. Get out of here. And Cincinnati, 5%. Florida, 4%. I don't. So who who's going to be that fourth team? I don't know. That's why I'm asking you for it. Because I don't have a. I don't have my old coach Jay Mobilehall said I don't have a clue of what's going to be uh, who that fourth team is and whoever it is from that bunch I just mentioned. Do you really think they're going to be able to stand a chance if they play, for instance, the number one seed being Alabama or Clemson? Or if Clemson loses, Alabama or Ohio State? <laughs> the Power 5 conferences, they're, they're not that powerful this year. You notice I didn't mention, you notice the Stats and Information Group didn't have anybody from the Big 12. 
there's really been there really hasn't been that power squad in any one of these conferences, especially with LSU stinging up the joint. The Big Ten is an absolute mess, and it's almost rivaling it almost rivals the ACC in terms of irrelevance after the best team in the conference. I mean, Minnesota was supposed to be doing something; they're rolling backwards. Michigan was supposed to be doing something. They are who they thought they are who we thought they were. Penn State was supposed to be doing something. I think preseason they were ranked in the top five or six. They've been some of the greatest disappointments in college football so far. Ohio State is absolutely lapping the field in terms of distance between them and the second best team in the conference. Northwestern and Indiana, yeah, they're both two and zero. An interesting story. Do you really think they're going to have a shot against Ohio State? I don't. Wisconsin. They're not playing football again after Graham Mertz, the quarterback, head coach Paul Chris, nearly two dozen others tested for COVID-19. You know, Mertz is going to be out for at least 21 days under the Big Ten's protocol after testing positive. We don't know when he's going to be back. The Pac-12, who gives a damn about that, that conference is the same conference where nobody plays defense, but without Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, or Jalen Hurts to save them in terms of their reputation. Yes, easy for the Big 12 to have a representative kind of compete for a playoff spot when that team is Oklahoma and you have yourself a Heisman-winning quarterback, Heisman Trophy-type candidate as a quarterback, and then, so it doesn't matter if your defense is giving up 40 to 50 points a game. But unfortunately, you have an unproven freshman who's getting better as your quarterback at Oklahoma. So now all of a sudden it's like, well, when the other team scores 35, 42, 49 points, for the most part, you don't have that Heisman Trophy winning quarterback to bail you out. So the two teams at the top of the conference coming into this past weekend, Oklahoma State, Kansas State, they both lost. And what type of luster does Kansas State have? For that matter, what type of luster does Ohio, uh, 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 Oklahoma State have? Oklahoma State lost at home at Texas, saw that game a little bit. That game looked like both teams... Either A, didn't want to win, or B, weren't very well coached, or C, some of the both, some of either A and B. Both teams made errors that were just kind of like ridiculous. Oklahoma's gaining momentum, but they've already lost two games. They beat Texas Tech 62-28 for their third straight win, but then again, they've already lost two straight games. How much can the name Lincoln Riley in Oklahoma's past uh, uh, success with him as the coach kind of you know, get them that momentum going to maybe Oklahoma can get it. No, no. Spencer Rattler, as I mentioned before, he's getting better every game. He had his best game against Texas Tech where he was 21-30 for 288 yards, two touchdowns. Most, most importantly, no interceptions. But the Pac-12 hadn't played, and who's worthy? Who's going to capture the attention in the Pac-12? Oregon? I've still got my... Why hasn't anybody asked uh, Mario Cristobal... Is Mario Cristobal the coach at Oregon? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so. Why hasn't anybody asked them? Everybody, when I'm watching the NFL, everybody associated with Justin Herbert said, that guy did not play like that last year at Oregon. Or that Justin Herbert that's playing right now for the Chargers, that guy was not here last year for Oregon. Why isn't anybody asking the Oregon coaches, hey, uh, coach, offensive coordinator, quarterback coach, 
where was this Justin Herbert that we're seeing now? Why wasn't he playing similar to this when he was with you guys? Doesn't that come down to coaching? Shouldn't we have to kind of question your coaching to say, damn, if Herbert was this good, if, if Herbert is showing us he's this good in the NFL, why was he so lightly regarded in, in similarity to what he's doing now when he, when he was with Oregon? Washington, they're, they're looking for a new coach, or, you know, their coach is no longer with them. Stanford, David Shaw, I mean, he's in a rebuilding year. USC, I don't, I don't know. Again, look at the SEC. You've got Alabama, and then who else? LSU stinks out loud, so that rivalry is, is, is null and void for the most part this year. Auburn, I don't, I don't know. Bo Nix, I mean, what year is Bo Nix in now? Year six? Um... Auburn poses a threat? I don't know. You take a look at the SEC East. Tennessee, nothing. You know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. The ACC is just the ACC. is Clemson and everybody else. So just moving on forward in the college football season, I I don't see anything that's going to come on, baby, light my fire like I'm Jim Morrison in the doors. I just don't. So, again, I'm, I'm happy that it's on. And I know I was railing about it, and I, was, I know I was kind of skeptical, and I know I was, you know, I felt kind of dirty in terms of the only reason why these players are putting their healths on the line is for, you know, the financial windfall that comes with uh, playing college football and the check and the money that these teams get from doing it or these universities get for doing it. So, you know, I was kind of like, you know, felt, felt a little dirty, felt a little guilty. And watching college football this year, but again, I mean, I can only watch beat Bobby Flay so many times. I can watch, I can only watch Chop so many times. I can only watch guys grocery games so many times. I can only watch cold case files and the first 48 so many times. I can only be on Pornhub so many. Oh, <coughs> oh excuse me. Oh, mm. oh boy, think before you speak. There's only so many things I can do on Saturdays, you know, without having my college football. I'm just so used to it. So I'm glad that it's on. But I guess you, you can say that this season has been more of a way for me to be not distracted. Distracted is the wrong word. It's, it's more of a way to uh, give me something to do more than it is this season for me to really pique my interest in watching. <laughs> World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Que pasa, mi amigos? Me llamo Wendell Wallace. 
So glad that you could be with us. Shalom. Assalamu alaikum. Konnichiwa. Bonjour. Bonsoir. So glad that you could be with us. Week eight of the NFL. I'm like really mired in the dog days, as I mentioned before, in football. Wasn't really into it. I know Pittsburgh was playing the Ravens and some other things, but I don't know, man. I was just like, yeah, that's nice. That's wonderful. whoop de damn do This, that, and the other. What does it mean? Where are we going? What does it signify? Pittsburgh remains the only unbeaten team in the NFL. They beat the Ravens, never more. 28-24, my sweet Lamar. Ben Roethlisberger threw two second-half touchdowns to match the best start in franchise history. I believe it was 1978 where they won the Super Bowl. Pittsburgh, who's now 7-0, trailed by 10 points at halftime before rallying, 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 rallying behind Roethlisberger. After completing only four passes for 24 yards in the first half, Big Ben finished 21 for 32 for 182 yards. Blah. One of the best game Pittsburgh has played. Mike Tomlin said that. You know, defense gave up 457 total yards, including including a season-worst 265 yards rushing to Baltimore. Look, the Steelers' defense is solid. They went into the game against the Ravens at the number two-ranked defense in the in the league. They were tied for fourth in takeaways, sixth in points allowed. So this is just a blip, I believe, overall. The Ravens are a really good uh, rushing team. They, I believe they lead the NFL. Yeah, Lamar Jackson, they lead the NFL in rushing. So uh, they got the win. Whatever the way you want to look at it, just win, baby. Baltimore, on the other hand, the loss drops them to five and two, two games behind the Steelers in the AFC North. As I mentioned before, Baltimore outgained the Steelers four seventy five four fifty seven to two twenty one, but it was the turnovers, the turnovers, the turnovers, the turnovers, and who was the culprit for those mishaps? It was one Lamar Jackson. Didn't play well. Went 13 to 28, 208 yards, two interceptions. After most interceptions he's had in a single season game, regular season game since throwing three against Pittsburgh in October of 2019. So I guess we can start now, right? Here we go. Here we go. Is Jackson overrated? Let me hear you. Signify, sing to me. Is Jackson overrated? Once again, 13 to 28. That's under 50%. 208 yards through a pick six. Accounting for four turnovers. He's now 0-3 against Patrick Mahomes. 0-2 in the postseason. He's 0-1 against Ben Roethlisberger. So, yeah, he can beat the misfits and the nobodies. But uh, when it comes up against the elite, he's he hasn't won a game. Well, let's just start with Mahomes to begin with. 0-3 against Patrick Mahomes. 0-2 in the postseason. How many quarterbacks have, have beaten Mahomes in the playoffs in his career since Tom Brady? I mean, he's only played the man three times. There was a there was a time where Peyton Manning couldn't beat uh, Tom Brady if his life depended on it, and then it switched around, and all of a sudden Tom Brady couldn't beat Peyton Manning if his life depended on it. As Peyton Manning, last couple of t- days in Indianapolis, and then moving over to Denver, and went on a good run against um, Tom Brady. So I mean, we're talking about three games already. Yeah, two of them are playoffs. Well, the reason why is because Kansas City has been a better team than the Baltimore Ravens. That's one of the reasons why Lamar Jackson is 0-3. Another reason why he's only he's 0-1 against Pittsburgh and Ben Roethlisberger because Pittsburgh's really good and they got a great defense. And it's only one fucking game. So we're really going to take 
apart Lamar for that. Does he need to play better? Sure, he needs to play better. But man, is what twenty-two years old. He did win the MVP last season. The team was fourteen and two last season. Gonna calm down on on all of this, you know, Lamar Jackson's overrated stuff. What's your definition of overrated? I think he's right now uh, one of the better quarterbacks in the league. He might not be your traditional quarterback because of the fact that he's right now a better runner than he is passer, or better than he's a better dual threat quarterback than he is as a Tom Brady old school precision stay in the pocket type of passer. But uh, what he brings with his legs, what he brings in that uh, area of development, then yeah, I think that he's one of the better quarterbacks in the league. My question is moving forward. Once the athleticism starts to wane, and we're speaking about what? Excluding any type of injury, any type of serious injury. I think Lamar is going to be Lamar with this type of athleticism for another, what, five, six years? Where he's going to be at this level? Does he need to all of a sudden turn into Peyton Manning overnight? It's still a process. He's still improving. He's still not there yet. But guess what? I think he's going to get better. And by the time he's the age of Russell Wilson... By the time he has six or seven years under his belt, I think the blend of running along with his presence as a traditional quarterback are going to uh, blend in very nicely. That's going to make him one of the top two or three quarterbacks in the league. Uh, So by the time the 2025 season, 2026 season rolls around, you know, Lamar is still going to be there. So what did that fucking mean for 2020? It means nothing. But what I'm saying is, is that I think we're starting to put labels and make judgments on Lamar Jackson as a quarterback rather early, rather early. And the fact that he's he's had these warts, the fact that he's not played the game of his life in the playoffs or against some of the elite quarterbacks in the league, just because he's not now where Patrick Mahomes is doesn't mean that somehow he's overrated, doesn't mean that somehow he's a fraud, doesn't mean that somehow that, you know, this is... You know, this is just something that's not going to be, that's not going to last. I don't, I don't think that's the case at all. The Ravens are still one of the best teams in the NFL. I mean, shit, they're 5-2. and two. They lost to the Pittsburgh Steelers. They lost to the Kansas City, Kansas City defending Champions. Give me a fucking break here. We just saw, uh, what was that? We just saw Tennessee lose to Cincinnati. Kansas City lost to Oakland. Baltimore still doesn't have a bad loss on their on their plate. J.K. Dobbins should remain the starting quarterback and running back when Mark Ingram returned from injury. Losing Ronnie Stanley is going to hurt. But still, Baltimore is still an elite Super Bowl caliber team. And you take a look at their record. We're going to see what type of team they are. I'm going to go with they're still elite. But you take a look at their next four games. They're at Indy. They're at New England. Tennessee. At Pittsburgh. So... What, realistically, coming out of this 2-2 two and two should be acceptable. But then after that, take a look at their schedule. They've got Dallas, they're at Cleveland, Jacksonville, the Giants, and then at Cincinnati. No reason why Baltimore shouldn't finish 12-4, and 11-5. If you're going to be whining and crying about, well, last year they were 14-2, and two, that was fucking last year. Whole different scenario, whole different time frame, whole different uh, area. So if they finish the season 12-4, 11-5, a game or two behind the uh, Steelers, not a bad season. That's not a horrible season. That's not a season where you have to start questioning things. I think it's going to be a good season for them. And then in the playoffs, hey, man, any given Saturday or Sunday, anything can happen. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, 
Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Hey, I'm just thinking about some other games of interest that caught my attention. Are fans starting to take Kansas City for granted? Have they entered that space now that's occupied by such great runs at the New England Patriots or the Golden State Warriors? Now, yes, I understand the champions of Kansas City have not you know, created the dynasty as the New England Patriots. That's not what I'm talking about. But, you know, you take a look at someone like the Patriots, the Golden State Warriors, to where when you reach that level of success of winning the of winning the Super Bowl, and you have um, you have now defined yourself correctly as the best team in the league. All of a sudden, now teams start to take your greatness for granted, and you become almost boring. Now we're now we're starting to look for something new. Now we're starting to look for something fresh. And as I mentioned before, Patrick Mahomes, I don't think is getting the credit that he deserves. Because he's, in the words of uh, Mel Kuyper, flying under the radar in terms of uh, what he's doing. But this team is 7-1 and one after going after beating up on the Jets 35-9. to The top five in scoring, offense and defense, they rank higher in scoring defense than they are in points scored. So one of the bugaboos or one of the question marks, possibly question marks of what could derail the Kansas City defending champions on a lonely uh, uh, Sunday night or Saturday night or Saturday afternoon in the playoffs could be their defense. Well, their defense is starting to come around and starting to make some strides. That performance that they had so far against the uh, Las Vegas Raiders where they were beat multiple times on uh, deep pass throws from Derek Carr seems to be more of an anomaly. Anom- uh, to be more of an anomaly. Jesus, more than it does a uh, pattern. So they lead the league in scoring average differential at twelve point six per game. But then again, we we saw this already. We've seen the underhand passes. We've seen the low look passes. We've seen the oh my god passes by Patrick Mahomes. We've seen that arm talent. We've seen that incredible ability. We've seen the speed. Of uh, Tyreek Evans, we Tyreek Evans, Tyreek Hill, Tyreek Evans played for the Memphis Grizzlies. Tyreek Hill, we we've seen all that stuff. So now it's like, okay, that's great, that's wonderful. Patrick Mahomes posting an unprecedented twenty-one to one TD to INT ratio to start the season. Okay, that's nice, that's wonderful. But you got to remember, a couple of years ago he threw for five thousand yards. So I mean, when we see the score sheet from Patrick Mahomes, he's throwing. 200 and for 235 yards and two touchdowns and no interceptions. Eh, been there, done that. But people want to start making this. <clears throat> people want to start talking about the Pittsburgh Steelers are the best team in the NFL because they're undefeated. What the fuck does that mean? Let me ask you a question, man. If you had to, if you had to choose a team in a game between Kansas City and Pittsburgh, and it was for your your children and your wives and your in every possession that you own and you're playing on a neutral field, are you going to be going with the Pittsburgh Steelers, or are you going to be taking the Kansas City defending champions? I'm going with KC. And when everything is all said and done, look at the remaining schedule. 7-1 right now. The, the, the next game is at Carolina. They're playing Carolina. Then they're at the uh, Las Vegas Raiders, at Tampa, Denver, at Miami, at New Orleans, Atlanta. And then the L.A. Chargers. We're speaking about a team here in Kansas City that could finish. Let's just go worst-case scenario. I think they could be finishing no worse than 12-4. and four, And we haven't even factored in Le- Le'Veon Bell. So I'm, I'm, 
all these folks are talking about Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh. Yeah, it's nice to be undefeated, but I still think Kansas City is the best team in the NFL. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Man, I tell you what. Look at those Miami Dolphins. If they keep this up, they mess around. Brian Flores is going to start getting some mention in Coach of the Year conversations. Beat the Rams 28-17. The Miami D recorded four Jarrett Golf turnovers in the first half. The Dolphins scored on defense, special teams. They did everything they needed to do. And they won despite being outgained in total yardage by a number of the Rams had 471. The Dolphins 145. And they scored 28 points to a tongue of Iloa debut. Eh, nothing much. Very conservative, short passing, 12 for 22, 93 yards. Offense generated only eight first downs, 145 yards of offense. You're not going to win too many football games this, this way, but the defense is allowing the fewest points in the league, only around 18 points a game. And this is the first time in six years that the Dolphins have won by 10 or more points in three consecutive games. So... Take that in your peace pipe and smoke it. Smoke it on out. So, uh, look, again, they're 4-3, wonderful. You take a look at their schedule. They're at Arizona, the Chargers, then Denver. They're at Denver in a game that's going to be played November 22nd, so the temperature might be a little bit dicey for them. But they go back. They play the uh, New York Jets, which is basically playing the JV team, Cincinnati, Kansas City, at the uh, Raiders, and then at Buffalo. We don't even know what the situation is going to be in Buffalo. If they win the AFC East, if Buffalo going to even be playing their starters for an inordinate amount of time. So, I don't know, man. I'm not looking for anything in terms, especially with the tongue of Bailoa. I know that people are going to be like, well, shit, man. If the defense is going to be this strong and do this, that, and the other, and they seem to be rolling, why are they going with Tua instead of going with Ryan Fitzpatrick? Ryan Fitzpatrick was not going to be playing at the level that he was going to be playing for the entire season. History has shown us that. That, you know, he's a, he's a guy that can give you some a good half a season, maybe a couple of more games after that. But at 37 years old, I don't think playing against some of the competition that he was going to be going up against, that he could sustain the type of play that would be needed for the Dolphins to be serious threats to make the playoffs. So looking at the long term, you already have some pieces that you can work with if you're Brian Flores and the coach of the Dolphins. You already have a defense that seems to be able to uh, – win a Super Bowl if you put the certain amount of talent around it in all the offensive side of the ball. You have a coach in Brian Flores who seems to be, if I can use this cliche, the real deal in terms of being a coach is concerned. So now we have to see about the most important possession, most important position in football, which is the quarterback. So now, again, what was the grade on Tua's performance against the Rams? C, C minus maybe, but that was his first start. Let's see what happens now. When he goes along, and you're talking about some of these games, it's going to be inter- very interesting what he's going to be able to do when you're speaking about whether it may be a cold-weather game and mile-high as situations in Denver. When you're speaking about going against the Kansas City the Le- Champions where they have to be able to put up some points. Maybe going up against uh, Arizona, going up against a Buffalo defense who might not be as strong as it was last season, but it's still uh, formidable defense. So I don't think this is a situation where the Miami Dolphins should be basing the success of their season on them making the playoffs or not. Now, if they make the playoffs, whoop-de-damn-doo-da, whoop-de-dee-day. But 
what does it mean? Are they going to be going to the Super Bowl? Are they really going to be a true contender? No. So I think Miami is placing themselves in position to try to answer some questions moving forward to see where we need to go in terms of building a championship. Is Tua the guy that we can build a championship around after some of these games that they're going to be playing, some of these conditions that he's going to be in? The Dolphins will have a better understanding of what they got at quarterback. And most importantly, if you are going to be staying with Tua, uh, especially you should be staying with Tua, but the position that you drafted drafted to them, then you're going to have to see exactly what pieces do we need to put, put around him to uh, improve his performance as he moves on in his career. This is a long-term situation with the Dolphins and Tua in terms of where they're going to be going. So are we going to have to go out in free agency and get ourselves a wide receiver? Are we going to have to go and move up in the second or third round to get ourselves a running back? Are we going to have to, uh, you know, go ahead and improve our offensive, improve our offensive line because his mobility is not what we thought it could be? I mean, what is he going to be like at the end of the season? What is the hip going to be like at the end of the season after the, the amount of games that he's going to be playing? So, all those questions could be answered a little bit better if, you know, with Tua in there and uh, and doing those type of things. So the Miami Dolphins might not be contenders, true contenders this year or next year, but the direction that they're going, especially uh, where they started this journey, how low they were when Flores was hired and he decided to steer the ship. I really do like the direction. If you're a Miami Dolphins fans, you have to like the direction that they're going. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us on the last leg of this podcast. And I haven't spoken about the NBA at all. Man, do I miss my NBA. I might might not have to wait too long. They're going to be playing on December 22nd to start the season again. If I'm LeBron, it's like, yeah, I'll I'll play on uh, December 25th. You won't see me again until the middle of February after that. But sure, I'll come back and play that game. Why not? Um... I guess on my YouTube channel, God, I keep saying my YouTube channel, my YouTube channel, but I want to get back to doing my YouTube channel. I really have. This election has just got me all screwed up, but I need to get back and and uh, start doing that again. W-E-N-D-E-L-L-W-A-L-L-A-C-E, Wendell, Wendell Wallace, that's me, uh, my YouTube channel, video version of me just yapping and yammering and yammering away about what's going on in the world of sports. But, yeah, man, I really miss basketball. I really miss talking about basketball. we got the draft coming up that I want to discuss. And I'm missing my Georgetown Hoyas. Good Lord have mercy. Three weeks before the start of the season. I cannot wait. I cannot wait. It's been so fucking long. I'm missing you, Georgetown Hoyas. Like, my name is Anita Baker. And uh, I miss them. And I'm really, really interested to see what they're doing. And I know that they're not going to make the NCAA tournament if, if we have one. I'm quite, we're going to have one because of the bunny situation, but 
no matter how many teams get in there, I don't think Georgetown is going to be good enough to make it. If they if they can compete for an NIT berth, not get an NIT berth, but compete to get an NIT berth with the uh, talent that we have this year, that'll be good. I'll be more than happy. I'll be very happy about that. Plus, with the 2021 class that we have coming in that's ranked in the top 15 in the country, and if we get this kid, uh, Muhammad, that'll raise us to number four. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm not, uh, my hopes reign eternal for for Georgetown. But, you know, without Kenner League this year and the end of the season and just COVID and everything else, I, I just haven't really got the opportunity to really, you know, take a look and see what their games are doing and the freshmen that we have coming in because of COVID. They, I didn't get a chance to see them play in Kenner. And so I'm just, you know, I'm just really just, Jonesing for the Georgetown basketball. So I'll be talking about Georgetown service. So I'll be doing that. So let me end by talking about a couple of issues here with the NFL. Let me see. This is coming down from the uh, NFL competition committee. It's proposing a 16 team playoff scenario as pandemic contingency plans. Now, this is what the league told ESPN Chris Mortensen, the NFL competition committee expects to present a solution to owners that includes a 16-team playoff scenario in the event games are lost because of the coronavirus pandemic. The contingency plan, which would become more likely as bye weeks disappear, would feature eight playoff teams from each conference. The contingency, if necessary, would take four division champions and four wildcard teams from both the AFC and NFC, NFC the playoff seeds would be 1 versus 8, 2 versus 7, 3 versus 6, 4 versus 5. NFL team owners already have approved the plan in March to expand the postseason to 14 teams. That's beginning with the 2020 season. And the plan increased the number of wildcard teams per conference to two up from 3 up to 2. I thought the NFL was all about, you know, saving players from long-term effects of injuries and everything. Doesn't that... Uh, exacerbate the problem if you're going to be playing more games. But more football, I mean, you know, if you, I'm down with that. Tanking for Trevor, losing for Trevor, Lawrence failing for Justin Fields. Latest updated rankings on the teams in line to draft one of those guys or both of those guys in terms of number one, number two. The number one team is the New York Jets, followed by the Giants, Jacksonville, Dallas moving up to number four. Number five, Miami. Uh, number six, my Washington football team. Number seven, the Chargers. Atlanta's at number eight. And number nine is the New England Patriots. Miami has Houston's pick. So the more Houston keeps losing, the happier Miami becomes. Um, the teams with the best chance, I think, didn't Dallas now change their quarterback again or some nonsense like that? So Dallas is going to be... Um, I think they. Have, I think they're going to keep losing the Jets. I don't see where they're going to be picking up wins. The Giants. I think have a strong chance of finishing the top three. And teams that are going to be playing their way out. I think that the Dolphins are going to continue to get better. I think Atlanta's going to win more games for them to get out of the running for either one of those two and the Los Angeles Chargers because I think they're going to be better if they can stop blowing late fourth quarter leads. So Anthony. Anthony Lynn can keep his fucking job. That would be great, fellas. But uh, they got themselves a quarterback who can really do some things at Justin Herbert. So the 
thought of getting themselves a Trey Lance or a Mac Jones or a Zach Wilson or a Justin Fields, no need to. So those that's about it. So the Jets are number one, Giants are number two, Jacksonville are number three. Jets need a quarterback. What do you think about the Giants? Would the Giants, if they got the number two pick, would they would they draft Justin Fields? Interesting. Jacksonville needs a quarterback, Gardner Minshew, really. Dallas, what's going to be their situation? If you could you imagine if they finish in a situation where they have the opportunity to say, for instance, draft Justin Fields, would they do that knowing uh, what you know, knowing that Prescott is coming back, even though we don't know um, the situation as far as what type of quarterback Dak Prescott is going to be when he comes back, that would be interesting. Miami, Tua, I guess that's one of the other reasons why we want to see as much as Tua as we could. You know, I, I, I don't think that after one year they would give up on the guy. And, they don't, and they're winning too many games right now for them to even think about drafting Trevor Lawrence. But uh, I don't think that would be in a position to even draft Justin Fields in that situation. Washington, they, they would need both. As I mentioned before, Kyle Allen is not the uh, choice to move forward. So... I guess right now Lawrence is out of the picture, but Fields, possibly. Chargers, no. Falcons, Matt Ryan is what, 35 years old? Arthur Blake is talking about, yeah, we could move him to another direction. Ain't nothing wrong with that, but I think Atlanta's going to win too many games. And New England. Uh, and if New England gets to, say, for instance, let's say, for instance, that um, Miami, because Houston keeps losing, Miami is at the number two or number three pick. The Giants decided they want to go with Daniel Jones. New England is sitting, say, at number seven or number six, number eight, somewhere around there. Would Bill Belichick try to swing some type of trade to move up in the draft, to draft himself, uh, Justin Fields, make a trade with the, um, make a trade with the uh, Dolphins to do that? I mean, this is a situation where Bill Belichick had to draft a quarterback in the first round his entire career. So, but the, but the notion. But the thought of drafting Justin Fields, I mean, New England is in that position. Will they do something about that? We will see. 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 That's an old Richard Pryor comedy deal that I that uh, that that joke was from when he was talking about folks in church singing, passing around the plate. Very funny. The great and wonderful, awesome Richard Pryor. Yes, he does it a lot funnier than I than I am. But what do you expect? Fucking Eddie Murphy. All right, I'm out of here, man. I am done. Time for me to watch a little AEW Championship Wrestling. I'm looking forward to it. Looking forward to uh, everything that's going on in life, no matter what it brings. So, um, you know, for folks here in the United States, shit. For folks here in the racist state of America, if you're black, if you're brown, if you're Latino, hang in there, man. Hang in there. We'll see what Biden can do if he finally gets across the finish line. You got these fucking idiots in Michigan right now. All white folks, of course. Um, banging on the door, you know, as far as the Michigan, because Michigan right now is still counting the votes because, oh, yeah, black folks in Detroit do vote. And, yeah, they 
you have to count those votes too. Sorry. So, you know, these white folks are up there, let us in, let us in, let us in. Like, man. Mm. Our country is something else, y'all. For those living outside the country, it is something else living here. And especially if you're a person of color. Whew. All right. I'm going to thank you very much for the program, for listening to the program. My name is Wendell Wallace. Wendell's World is Sports Music. I was born by the river In a little tent And just like the river I've been running ever since gonna come